We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try. Hey, Jacob. Hi, Scott. How are you, my friend? I am well, and I feel like I've been missing. I don't know if it's just my imagination. I feel like we haven't talked this way for a long time. Yeah, New Year's Eve was our last recording. So and it's March 1st, so two months, two full months. I'm not a mathematician, but that seems like <laughs> al- almost 60 days, you know? Yeah. Are you a dates matician? <laughs> uh, clearly not that either. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the need to tell our listeners um, that for the first time ever, Jacob and I started our recording and 10 minutes in, we, I was like, can we start over? And we did, and we've never done that. And it, I think it was the right choice. <laughs> I think we've made it a point to not have these be highly edited, uh, but I think there's a difference between raw and just pure drivel. Exactly. These aren't edited at all. I don't think have you, we ever edited anything, but yeah, that one was just, it was a messy 10 minutes. I think we were out of shape with talking to each other all this time. <laughs> so, so catch me up a bit on, on, I know we've crossed paths here and there and taught together and what have you, but catch me up on what you've been up to since, uh, since the last one, the last one was faux fur glow sticks and something I think was the title of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've been in Santa Fe. Um, and you know, I moved here in November and am loving it, continuing to love it here and, and I'm excited to be here. And I feel like I didn't know when I first moved into the place, I thought it would be, you know, till March or April, but I really feel like I'm settling in to this location in a really good way. And I don't feel called I mean, it's only been four months, so we'll see. But I don't feel called to pack up and hit the road. And I also think this is such a great, it's such a great base because when I do feel called to kind of hit the road, it's its going to be around the West most likely for camping. And there's so much to explore and discover in New Mexico and Colorado's just North. And yeah, so I'm, I'm feeling good. You know, I, uh, I've been doing, you know, I, I launched my newsletter in November with the intention of putting out maybe a couple emails a month and I've been sending things out weekly and that's felt really good because it's, it's really connecting me to my writing. Mm. You know, you know, sometimes when you create, create a, a circumstance in your life that's putting pressure on you, but in a really okay way. Like I feel this sense of, oh yeah, I want to, I want to put a newsletter out each week. So I have to show up and I have to write, but it doesn't, it, right now it feels good. It feels motivating rather than stressful. Mm-hmm. And I'm really enjoying what I'm writing and sharing there so that, yeah, that feels good creatively. Um, yeah, I'm in a good place. What about you? I've been enjoying what you've been writing too, Scott. And just to make, to be clear about this, for those who aren't yet subscribed to your Substack, we'll put a link to that in the show notes today. Um, you know, and I love, I think you and I probably share a lot of this, Scott. Um, uh, watching you 
go walk about last year and really take a huge step back from social media and really tune in. Um, and then, you know, start moving back toward showing up in the world, um, in the ways that you had been, but, but in a new way, um, watching you commit to a consistent practice of writing and sharing like that has been really cool. And I, um, I think this one thing I struggled with for a lot of years, you know, I grew in a larger and larger email list, which was lovely, but I also found it very, very difficult. I had extreme email reluctance, so I wouldn't, you know, people I admire, the power path folks, um, actually they live right there by you. Um, Jose and Lena Stevens, they do a monthly update and I look forward to it. Like I start watching my inbox on the first of every month saying, okay, where's the power path update? And a bunch of other people I, I really love send out regular stuff and it doesn't feel like spam. Uh, but I had a really hard time committing to a, to any kind of a con content plan for a long time. And the, launch of my Institute for Creative Living became part of that. So yesterday I sat down and wrote my March 1st update and it felt so good to your mm -hmm. point of having it feel good rather than like just an obligation. It does feel good to have a commitment to, Hey, this is how I'm, this is how I want to serve and I want to do it <clears throat> consistently. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny because we, uh, who cares if for me, there's a part of my, my mind that's like, don't send out too many things. And it's, it's always been that way. And, and you worry about that. But then I'm like, and once a week would have felt like way too many things. Mm -hmm. And yet what I'm sending, I'm really liking. And I think it's helpful. And if people don't want to receive it, they just unsubscribe. And I receive things. I'm on newsletter lists where things come twice a week, but mm -hmm. It's great. And sometimes I don't read it because, you know, we do what we do, but I'm never offended by it, you know, it's like, and I always know there's an option. And to that, Jacob, you know, we, I wrote to you, God, maybe a couple weeks ago, because we, we had our last recording on the 31st and then we went, we both had COVID in January and we went all through January and then it was into February and we weren't recording anything again. And I was feeling some, I don't know if anxiety is the right word or frustration a little bit because it felt like six weeks had passed effortlessly for us and we didn't do a podcast episode. So I was thinking, well, what are we doing with this? Are we doing it? Are we giving it any energy? And I reached out to you and, and said, you know, are we still kind of invested in this? Or I don't think I used the word invested. And you had a great response, which was essentially like, yeah, I'm good to, you know, let's keep doing it. And after reaching out, what I saw was that I was getting locked into exactly what we didn't want to create with this podcast. Like the whole point of this podcast for us, along with sharing what we feel called to share, was that we come from this place of wanting to enjoy it and be present with it and do it and not put restrictions around things or rules about how often it has to come out to let it kind of move organically. And after I wrote to you and wrote, wrote back to me, it's like all of that tension just released because it's like, I've loved how we've approached this podcast. Every time we show up together, whenever it is, whether it's once a week or once every two weeks or whatever, I always feel good after I feel good throughout and afterwards. And that is really what we want to be feeling with this, you know? So I appreciate, I appreciate how open you were to just 
being with my frustration and also being like, this still feels good to me. <laughs> like, I love when we talk and it kind of just reminded me, yeah, I don't need to to turn this into anything other than what it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I, I love this interesting um, holding the opposites, you know, between these things on one side, um, I value one of my highest values when I do values discovery work is freedom. Um, and I've noticed in my life that anytime I built a business or something that, that be, began to turn too deeply into obligation that no longer felt balanced or, or healthy, I would eventually burn it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 but there's, but there's something or burn myself down to get out of it. I mean, I did that. I wouldn't generally burn it down over other people, but I would like generally burn myself down and then like, okay, well I'm, I'm out now. And I didn't love that because I did want to create something that would last, something that would feel alive um, and something that could be relied upon, you know? And so I'd say the last dozen years for me have been this long process of feeling deeper and deeper into how can I, and I love these, in fact, I just, my newsletter that's coming out in a few minutes, um, it asks these creative questions, what if, and how can I, you know? And so asking that question, what if there were a way to create something that could feel alive, that would offer me freedom to to continue growing, not lock me into a certain identity, um, but that I would also feel free within to serve consistently? What if there were a way to do that? What if it could become a community? And then the follow-up question is, how can I? And, And I think sometimes it's so easy to jump from the the what if stage, the imagination and paint this amazing picture of possibility, but then um, feel overwhelmed by that. That sounds great, but it's also so far in the distance. Um, But asking how can I, and what's the first tiniest step in that direction? Um, In the last 12 years feel like a lot of strangely, uh, you know, wandering around meandering steps. But if I look back over it, they've all been in the direction of, of, creating something that that could feel healthy and good and joyful you know yeah i mean freedom for me too is is priority you know in terms of wanting to feel like i'm giving my energy to things that feel good mm-hmm. and are aligned with that commitment and in stepping outside of it's it's wild how quickly conditioned responses can develop within us because there is a way like quote, there is a way to do things Mm -hmm. if you want to be successful in any field or so people will say, right? Like you put your podcast out once a week. So, and you put it out on the same day so people can depend on it and they can, you know what I mean? There's a way to do things in, in all areas of creativity in the arts, if you want to do it that way. And I just really, I really appreciate recognizing that you don't have to follow any rules about how you want to show up in the world. Um, Yes, you can consider that if you want to be more financially successful, there's a good chance that following these steps might lead you down that path to more financial reward. I think it's, we don't have to deny that there are there are ways, there are formulas for creating something, but if that formula isn't in alignment with who you feel yourself to be, 
it's just not necessary, especially in the world we're living in right now. There are so many different paths to sharing your work, sharing your art, sharing your heart, whatever it is you feel called to share, you know, many ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Actually, it's, it's funny. I'm reading this, uh, I'm reading this book by Dr. Gabor Mate right now, Scattered Minds. Uh, shout out to my sister, Emily, who texted it to me the other day and said, oh my God, this, this might be one of the most transformational sort of big, deep sigh of relief books I've read recently. And it's talking a lot about attention deficit disorder. Um, so it's funny to watch my mind listening to what you were saying, but also, also jumping, jumping around. Um, uh, wow. And I, and I love, and that's part of, I think what we're talking about here is got this process of self-discovery. I mean, it's something I've really landed on as this, not, not a formula, but a sort of a reflection of what can happen that allows us to be ourselves and also allows us to fit in enough in a world that, that we're not, we're not so um, asynchronous that we can't be effective. And that for me has been, I would say, a really long process because I feel like self-discovery, who am I? Who am I? Leads to this acceptance of, oh, there I am. Oh. And, and when that happens, I feel like transformation can become just this natural process of moving back in line with, this is who I really am. You know, this is who I really am. And I tell the story often about an acorn that sprouts and starts coming up through the, you know, earth and then looks around and tries to become the pine tree and tries to take on the attributes of the bamboo because it's shooting up so quickly and all the other trees and it tries to grow apples. And then some, you know, if it were a human, of course, that's what it would try to do. And then someone comes along and says, hey, let's say it's a wise old raven, comes along and says, hey, all you have to do is find out the code that was in you when you were an acorn and become that become the oak tree. Mm -hmm. That's all you have to do. And then in this process of it slowly shedding the belief that it should be the pine tree or the, or the bamboo and it, the process of it saying, I am here and transformation only means that I am meant to become everything that is in this code of the acorn. I'm meant to become the best oak tree. I can the biggest, or the most healthy, whatever the, whatever the thing is. And it does not have to look like any of the other trees around me. And I can look and find other oak trees that'll give me some clues, but I'm still going to be the one that's planted in this particular soil with this particular amount of rainfall and sunshine. And I'm going to flourish as deeply as I possibly can, given these, given these factors, you know? Yeah. And if we can really, really live into that truth, mm -hmm. I was thinking about this because I think comparison and envy comes from not living into the truth that you just described. Because if we were really, if we really understood that we're only here to be ourselves, and if we really allowed ourselves to, to be expressive in that way, it would never occur to us to compare ourselves to anyone else because it would not make sense. It would be like comparing yourself to an oak tree mm -hmm. as a human being or mm -hmm. to a rhinoceros. It's right. It's like every human being on the planet in their enlightenment, in their alignment with source, in their truth is unlike every other human being on the planet. Mm -hmm. And 
And it just removes that compulsion to compare and envy others for what they have and who they are when that's, you're not that acorn, <laughs> right? Right. It's such right. a, it is so difficult though to, to really, I think it's incredibly difficult to really accept that. But I think the first step in that process is just to acknowledge it, to really understand it. And that can guide us into the acceptance of that acknowledgement, because I don't even think most people recognize that. I don't think most of us recognize it. I do have a question for you, Jacob, though, because one of the things you said in the beginning was you said the word effective, mm -hmm. like to not be so asynchronous that you're not effective. And what does that mean for you? Like what is, what's effective? Mm, I love, I love that you went back there, Scott. Um, I wrote two books before I got one traditionally published and Randy Davila, my publisher said, you know, one of, one of the goals that I have that he had is to take what you have to say and translate it in a way that will, will be able to be read by the widest number of people possible. And it's not about selling a million books necessarily. That'd be great if it happens, but really what we want to do is make this as, as, as accessible as we can. And that, that was interesting for me because I had published the book, blessed are the weird before that self-published it and did my best to make it as accessible as it could be. And I think that, I think that it serves, it serves a purpose in my body of work. Uh, it's interesting to eventually go, Oh, I guess there is sort of a body of work developing. But that that led me because that book was specifically talking about being asynchronous, being a misfit, um, and I love I love the message in that book. I've come to love it over the years more because for me it's this aspect of self acceptance. It becomes this I I am good enough. Mm -hmm. um, but what's developed since publishing that book and then spending a lot of time with the people who were reading it and who, who felt um, helped by it was also this understanding that it's not a matter of selling out or conforming, but if I hold on to the story of not fitting in so hard that I'm unable to live the life that I would love to live, if I hang on to that story, oh, I'm just such an oddball. You know, I just fucking marched my own drum and therefore I can't. And I've met a lot of people, and I'm sure you have too, Scott, who, who hang on to that story of being the outsider, the misfit, to the point that they stay broke and isolated and feeling rejected their entire lives, feeling like their work is not accepted, feeling like they don't belong here, they were born in the wrong time. Um, and that that began this real process in me of saying, okay, if I let go of that story, who am I without that story? Mm -hmm. And I found, for example, that I would reject things like, oh, the money system, because I had just felt so hurt by that in the, my finance years, and I felt that it was hurting so many people. And <clears throat> I rejected a lot of marketing as being so cynical and manipulative. And what I've come to understand as I was talking with a, a, a great writer who's wanting to release their book pretty soon, they were saying how much they hate marketing. And I said, you know, one shift that might help, it helped me was to understand that what I'm doing here by learning how to t tell other people about, about this work, about this book, what I'm doing is actually translating. So it becomes an act of compassion. And when I can see marketing as an act of compassion, 
oh, I'm just making it understandable for other people. It's not about trying to suck the money out of their wallet or whatever. That changed it for me. It became service then. And and money, if it can be, I think I might have mentioned in a previous episode, last May, I took a, a sabbatical and went to the mountains. And that was one thing my guides really brought home to me was you need to forgive money. I'm like, what? And it's like, listen, you can either fight, you can either fight against it, or you can let yourself be consumed by it. But there's a third way. There's always a third way. Mm-hmm. The third way is to understand that, yes, it has been used for a lot of of evil in this world. And, and if you let it come through you as medicine, it can fill your life and so, the life of so many people with joy and with healing and with good things, you know? Yeah. Powerful words. All of what you just said, you know, I think that, and we could apply what you just said about money to basically at this point, every aspect of life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I'm, I've been working with, cause I went off social media, then I came back and I'm on it again and just working with being peaceful about my presence there instead mm-hmm. of posting on Facebook and thinking about how disgusting I find the company, like recognizing within it mm-hmm. that connecting to the beauty that can be created um, not from a place of denying the the ugliness that exists there, but that I, I feel like it applies to every aspect of our lives because there's there's no perfect system. Mm-hmm. And, and if anything, I feel like the systems are continually becoming more imperfect. Mm-hmm. And yet, unless you want to live on a plot of land completely off grid without a phone and without anything else and really take yourself out of it, you're, you are a part of it. Mm-hmm. So knowing that we're going to be a part of it, why wouldn't we seek to create peace with our part in it and be as conscious as we can show up, you know, show up consciously, not participate with the aspects we don't want to participate with if we're able to do so. Um, but if the parts that we are choosing to participate with, like, do it from this place of what you're saying. Is there, is there a way for me to show up with my medicine here? Is there a way for me to show up more peacefully here? Like why war does not serve anything. So why would we create war in the choices we're making? Why not seek other outlets, which is what I feel like you're speaking to. And then the, the other thing about the stories we tell ourselves, it's so important to let go of them all. Like really, I'm really, working at looking at the stories that I continue to hold on to and, and recognizing that anything I'm holding on to in terms of a story about myself, I'm, I'm doing a disservice to myself. I, I really think, I feel like I could probably say that about every, anything that I have attached myself to in terms of how I view myself is, is not allowing me to be open to what the present moment could possibly present to me. Because if I have decided I am this type of person, but I'm living in a moment where there's another opportunity or option being presented, but I'm not the type of person who does that, I'm closing myself off to the possibilities, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think we serve ourselves by doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And going back to the story of the oak tree, like in a perfect world, you know, in a perfect setting, 
that the creature, the organism would, would grow up with all the nutrients and everything in its environment that would completely support it. And many of the stories that you're talking about, Scott, if not all of them for, for most of us, I'm speaking for myself, were developed long before we knew much about the world. Um, they, we in, ingested them, metabolized them, uh, in ter- and made them in part of our internal self of this is who I am. This is how I am. And we go back to the oak tree just for a moment. If that oak tree were, you know, let's say 20 years old and it looked around and said, oh my God, I've spent my entire life distorting and contorting myself to become like these other trees, uh, comparing myself and making myself crazy. Look at how weirdly straight I am in these areas and weirdly bent I am in these other ones. It could be, it could be this hopeless feeling of, I am so broken. I am so bent. I will never be useful as myself again. And I want to, as I've invited myself into this process for the last dozen years of, of unwinding, of growing a different direction, I think there has to be so much gentleness with how those stories came in that said, you need to be different than you are. Um, because sometimes these become patterns, just like a branch on an oak tree might become a really big, powerful limb. And we can't just yank it back into what we see as perfect alignment or we'll break something. And so I feel like so much gentleness has to be brought to bear as, as we begin to spot the stories. I think sometimes people can begin to do violence and create more shame in themselves because, you know, they, they read a book or go to a seminar and it's like, oh, the story and that is so powerful, like not denying that at all. And just, But then this gentleness, this invitation into, it took me a lifetime to contort myself in this way, to keep that story in place. It took me a lifetime to reinforce that so much that, it, that I felt like it was the actual truth about myself. It doesn't have to take a lifetime to unwind it, but oh my God, I need to be gentle and not just try to yank it out of there. Hundred percent. Look, I mean, love for me, love is always the answer. So you're you're saying gentleness, and what I'm hearing is love. This is how mm-hmm. we. This is one of the ways in which love is reflected as gentleness toward ourselves, no matter what it is we're going through. And not only do we always serve ourselves in the moment by showing up with love and compassion and gentleness for whatever process we're going through, we also create automatically more courage within ourselves to continue moving forward because we understand that the process that we're moving into is going to be one supported by us through the lens of love instead of shame and abuse and the things that we're used to showering on ourselves. And that's for me, one of the greatest gifts of love on this journey of healing and self-growth is it, it fortifies my courage to continue moving forward. I know I always have my back on the other side of whatever it is I discover about myself or about our world or about whatever. It's like, I will be there with a kind and gentle and compassionate voice for myself, which is why Mm -hmm. if, I mean, I will say this until I die, I suspect, which is that I, I encourage all of us to make as one of our great priorities our relationship with ourselves and in growing in love of ourselves, growing in compassion of ourselves, having a willingness 
to do it. And I think for some listening to this, when people talk about self-love, I know that whenever I write anything about self-love, which is pretty much daily, there's always or often a comment, which is like, how do you, how do you learn to love yourself? You know, I know for some of you listening, when people talk about self-love, it's like, great, I get it. I should love myself, but I don't love myself. And what do I do to love myself? Mm-hmm. And I'm not bringing this up to pitch this, but I did write a, one of my newsletter things was called, how do, how do you learn to love yourself? And I think the first step is willingness. Mm-hmm. And if that's all you can get to right now, if you can't honestly say, I love myself, or you can't honestly say, I commit to love myself. Can you honestly say, I'm willing to love myself? I'm willing to explore that path of self-love. Because even that statement is an act of self-love. Even that statement is you stepping in your power, recognizing that that you want to love yourself and you're willing to do it. And if you can't make that statement, can you say, I am willing to be willing to love mm-hmm. myself? What's the most honest statement you can make about self-love? And I think that that getting to the most honest statement is really important because, again, I feel we live in an energetic world and everything is vibrational. So if your words are not matching what you're actually feeling, for me, the disconnect steers in terms of what you're actually feeling, not what words are coming out of your mouth. It's like if someone is standing in front of you and they're telling you they love you, but all you're feeling from them is that they want to hurt you in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that trumps the words, right? So we have to look at that when we're, I believe when we're working with ourselves, it's like, what's the truest statement I can get to and use that as a launching point. But, but with willingness, I really believe we can, we can carry ourselves into so many realities that we maybe didn't think were possible because we've lived so many years outside of those realities. So I encourage you really start with that willingness and let the energy of that willingness, um, support your journey. And then another key thing I think that's so important is to understand that so many people say they don't know how to love themselves while they are actually making choices that reflect self-love. And I think it's important to get into the habit of acknowledging those choices when they're happening. For instance, if you are, if you're somebody who's listening right now and you say you don't know how to love yourself and yet you're listening to this podcast, which is in some way serving, I suspect if you're listening to us, serving your relationship with yourself, you're, you're benefiting in some way by what Jacob and I are talking about. This is an act of self-love. You are right now loving yourself. So what happens when we start paying attention to the moments through the day, when we think thoughts or we speak words or we take actions that are actually truly reflective of taking care of ourselves and allow ourselves to sink into those moments and acknowledge them, recognize them, because that again is energy that is going to contribute to you showing up for yourself with love more often. You said so much there. I, um, it's interesting to sit and listen, Scott, and then, and then feel my mind have a response to this or a, or a continuation of it or on the next thing. But I wanted to spend a little time here on, um, First of all, just really appreciate the work you did in self-love in the recent 
heal, create retreat. I wasn't sure how you would, I mean, I knew it wasn't how you would do, I knew you'd do brilliantly and you did, but I was not sure how, how it was you would lead us into. And I was curious cause I've never been to one of your retreats, you know? Um, and I just loved how you made it so practical. I loved how everyone connected to the working through of answering the question, how does this, how does this work out in my life? You know, I want to just take a moment and just say, wow, such big respect for how, how, what it is you teach and how it is you invite people into the experience, step over the word, which brings me to the second part, which is, you know, I do a lot with the word creative and creativity and all that. Um, but I feel like the word much like love so often becomes a barrier because so many people don't feel like they have it or don't have enough of it or aren't worthy to be that, um, because of comparison to others often. So I did this, um, I did this word cloud of synonyms around the word create or creative. Um, and I had a, um, a gig worker, a designer from, um, I think the Ukraine actually create this word cloud in a colorful document and presented it during the retreat. And what it was, was a bunch of synonyms surrounding the word create creative. And there were words like uh, resourceful, innovative, courageous, uh, alive, um, all these different words. And I said, if you could pick a different word other than create, if you have a hard time working with creative, what, what other words can you identify with? What, what do you aspire to have more of what feel true to you? And Oh my God, people, people really lit up with that because it's like, Oh, it's not just this one word that seems like such an obstacle in itself. It becomes all these different words of ways to ways to begin to experience more of this in my life and listening to you with love. Like I'm not in love with the word creative. Um, I think it's just a word and like so many words, it's this doorway and, and it's hard for people to feel like they can even get the door open sometimes. So asking, how can I step across that threshold into the experience of this thing, forgetting, forgetting about the word. And for me, creative and love are two, they're the same word, um, you know, they're, or they're the same energy because mm -hmm. if I am creating my life, it means I'm loving my life. It means that my life matters enough to become a self author of it. It means that I've stepped into the experience of loving myself and other people and this crazy, weird, marvelous experience we call life. And so that's just one, one way, I guess my brain naturally finds uh, connections between seemingly disparate ideas sometimes, but I love that we're talking about the same things here. And to me, honesty, like if we did a word cloud around the word love synonyms, honesty would be there. Courage would be there. Gentleness. There are so many fucking words that would, people might find like, Oh, you mean that I've been loving myself the whole time. Oh, you mean I know how to love already? Yeah. And what, yeah. And what happens when we rest in those moments instead of allowing ourselves to be mired in the beliefs that we're never doing anything that reflect love? Mm -hmm. You know, I want to, you know, we, I think we opened with kind of checking in with where I was and then we've been spinning off from that. But I want to ask you about to talk a little bit about Heal Plus Create, because that was your first big event mm -hmm. for the Institute of Creative Living. And it, it my, I, I checked in on, I sat in on maybe three of the other talks and gave my talk and felt um, it was just beautiful. It was beautifully put together. The the speakers I tuned in on were wonderful. And how was the experience for you? And how is the experience coming down from it? 
All of it. How are you? What's going on? <laughs> oh, thanks for asking. Oh, my God. Well, Scott, I think maybe I've told this story, but when I first came back from Austin, Texas, moved back to Boise, I was staying in our family, had a, a big cabin, um, and I was staying there with my kids while we were waiting for a house to open up. And, you know, I had just I had just published my first book, and um, I really didn't have what I would consider any kind of career path at that point and had a few part-time jobs that I was doing and then moved back here with just one of those part-time jobs and was feeling so afraid really and and not at all sure that I would know how to bring things together. And I remember one particular day at that cabin, um, I was just, I got up and made sure the kids had breakfast and I got coffee and I was just feeling, even though it was a gorgeous day, I was feeling dark, like afraid and dark. Um, and I walked out across the little dirt road and down into this meadow area with my notebook. And, um, at first I just poured out my heart in my journal about how I was feeling and how afraid I felt. And then I felt this nudge to, Hey, write, write a description, write a picture, paint a picture on with words of the life that you would love to, to have that you'd love to live in. And I began writing this description of a community um, of people connecting around the idea of becoming who we really are and of healing and how joyful and not just serious work and how it supported me and them and how it just felt so in harmony with, with what I would love. And um, as that, as it almost always happens when I am willing to go you know, into exploration that way, like first tell the truth about any feelings that are there but then begin to paint the picture of this is what I would love. I walked away feeling like, like the sun had come out from behind the clouds um, in my, in my mind and heart. And I didn't know again, that was 2012. So that was 10 years ago. Um, and so this Institute that sparked about a year or so ago, and then, and then sitting with my brother um on his couch after we had gotten the beta experience, you know, opened up. So people were actually able to come into the community. We were looking at each other and he said, okay, it's time, it's time that we do something now <laughs> I said, for sure. And there are so many things to do. And I said, you know, this Institute began as in, in meditation. Um, the idea for it, why don't we, why don't we meditate for a while? And so we did in about five minutes, together later i i opened my eyes and began sketching out the heal plus create retreat and um and that felt like such a huge task and it was but i felt very guided scott both in the people who said yes to be teachers and then in taking what felt like a huge risk to spread it out over two weeks rather than cram it all in in a weekend um to invite everyone in and give them membership you know, so they could connect in our private group on our platform. There were just so many things that felt like, wow, this, this could go terribly wrong. <laughs> um, what happened was over 200 people from around the world signed up and every, every session, so many people showed up to the live sessions, um, which can be rare in a virtual setting. A lot of times mm -hmm. people sign up and then just kind of don't come. But I watched, I watched the magnetic attraction grow and grow and grow. And every night, even through weeknights, every night, we just had a really solid group who were highly engaged and so excited and grateful for what they were experiencing. And what I was surprised by was every teacher 
and I did not sit with them and instruct them how to connect the dots between what I was hoping for this retreat and their particular workshop. I didn't do it. Every one of them felt so incredibly connected to the theme and without even knowing it, they built on, they built on it in ways that I just would sit there sometimes emotional during the session, you know, like tears. My is like, I can't believe, I can't believe how good this is. I can't believe how it's working out. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess I would just say, I felt, I feel relieved. I feel very guided. Um, and going back to the story I told about the cabin, I'm watching something come into shape in real life that at the time seems so incredibly impossible. Mm -hmm. um, and then a couple of days ago, I texted you and we were talking about doing this next episode. And I said, yeah, I just, I just, you know, I'm having one of those mornings where I'm just feeling so incredibly inadequate. And um, <laughs> so you're talking about the coming down from a big experience like that. And I have this wiring that makes me love to engage in intense experiences like that with people. And then, and then when it's, when it's done, I don't want it to be done, but I might be completely energetically fried because I'm also wired to be very energetically plugged in and tuned in with a whole group like that. Yeah. Um, and so I would, I kind of limped through last week. My brother went to Mexico and had a great time and that was perfect. And I also had Boise to myself. So that felt good. But I kind of, I kind of just crawled through the week, and in a good way. Um, but also, began to feel more and more like, oh, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. I need to be back in the group. I need to be doing something. All those things, and I. So it felt really good to confess to you. Yeah, I'm feeling really inadequate right now, and and spend time in my journal confessing that and going, okay, let me tell myself the truth. It's okay to rest right now. <laughs> yeah. Not just okay, critical, <laughs> like, like necessary. <laughs> so, say you. <laughs> so say you. So say you. I'm just arrogant enough to feel like I'm I'm not a I'm not a human in those ways, Scott. <laughs> well, I agree, you're not a human, <laughs> or at least not a hundred percent human. <laughs> hey, Jacob, you uh, you said the word when you were talking about the retreat a few times, guided. And I don't know if you've really ever taken a dive on this podcast into that. Like, what is, what does that feel like to you? What does that look like to you to be guided? Oh, you're asking me to come all the way out of the closet, aren't you? <laughs> How weird are you really, Jacob? Oh, so fucking weird, Scott. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I have, I really felt burned by, and eventually disgusted by a lot of what was happening in the new age world. Um, as I really cracked open, I just became so curious and open to all these experiences and I loved them. And then I would find so many ways that people weren't willing to use their critical thinking. Um, these mm -hmm. teachers were asking us to believe, just believe, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I found myself rejecting a lot of that. Um, and, but I also began to have more and more, experiences that I couldn't explain through just pure reason, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so even though I find myself to be still highly skeptical in so many ways, I also have had many experiences over the last 10 or 12 years. I know that these experiences were happening long before that, but they became a regular feature of life and has become something that I've um, 
begun to privately mostly welcome in my life and having an experience of having a guide team. And I don't, I don't have, um, like some people you and I both know have very like auditory or visual experiences of, of, you know, intelligences or beings around them. I don't have that never have, but I do, I do often find myself feeling nudged, guided, intuitively, um, directed. And I find that when I'm willing to invite that more more of it happens, and I've never had an experience of that where, um, I was led astray where, you know, it sometimes my timing, my sense of when things should happen or exactly how they should happen wouldn't be the case, but I've never found, felt, found myself. If I look back over the pattern of these last dozen years of learning to, to trust that more, Scott, um, I, I find that it happens more frequently and I've, I'm able to move with it more surely. Um, and that does not at all diminish the anxiety or the skepticism at times, but knowing that now I have a lot of evidence, it's no longer just a belief. It's an, it's an experience of, I don't understand. And I also have a sense that humans, (laughs) including me, uh, often are just labor under this idea that we are the, the apex of intelligence. Um, fuck what, a, what an arrogant on the spectrum of consciousness, you know, all the way from really slower forms of consciousness, like maybe what's in rocks or trees all the way up through the, the spectrum of life of consciousness of awareness. Um, what an arrogant idea that, that I exist in this layer that is the top layer of all and that visible beings are the only ones that are, that are real, you know, Especially when you look at the world thinking Especially. that we are the apex of consciousness and this is what we've created. <laughs> it's insane. But I'm cur- I am curious, Jacob, like how do you, when you're feeling guided, is it a sense, it, how are you, because what I'm hearing you suggest is that the guidance is coming from outside of yourself. You're tuning into something that isn't coming from within you or or is it, or when is it, and how do you distinguish what's coming from within you, and when is that nudge coming hmm. from non-physical entities beyond you? I'm super careful about how, this part because I don't, I don't feel like I even grasp exactly the the equation there perfectly. Um, Julia Cameron wrote a book uh, that just came out recently called Seeking Wisdom, and it's it's about inviting guidance. It's about move, moving with with guidance and using different tools. Um, and I love that because there is a process. So I find that my daily journaling practice um, becomes a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask questions and often find myself with some some form of automatic writing back. Um, uh, I, in meditation, will often, you know, go into silence, but also at times hold, hold a question or hold a desire for, for direction. And often what comes back from that will be an idea. It'll feel like an inspiration a lot of times, Scott. It'll feel like a, a, a little pop, like, oh, there, there's an idea. There's a resource. Um, there's an opportunity. And, um, so sometimes just recording those ideas, you know, Einstein and Mm -hmm. Tesla and various ones have talked about their experiences of this as well. And so I tend to be really cautious about saying that 
you know, there are these actual beings speaking to me in some way. All I know is that when I open myself up to information that's beyond the reaches of my rational brain, um, things can start to happen. Synchronicities, things will start to show up. I don't feel like I'm being clear at all. I do think you're being clear, honestly, because I, I also think part of what you're saying is you don't know. You know that the, you're having the experience. You know that the experience is serving you, but you can't say for sure if it's like three guys named Billy, John, and Ramon who are like, you know what I mean? Who are your your specific guides. And mm-hmm. I just encourage people listening because I, I feel I have a very similar experience of that to you, Jacob, you know? Mm. And I encourage people listening to just recognize that everything's energy. So it makes natural sense that if you're opening yourself up to guidance from the tree, I have been guided by forests Mm -hmm. any number of times when I've been Mm -hmm. hiking or just sitting among the trees, maybe in meditation or maybe with a journal or just asking for help because Mm -hmm. the trees are these wise deeply wise grounded beings and felt like I was Mm -hmm. getting information. I was being given an inspiration, like you said, or a jolt of wisdom that I wasn't that yes, it came through me ultimately because I, Mm -hmm. I found my way there, but it didn't happen until I opened myself up to the forest and the energy and the guidance that can come through that. So I feel like the invitation is for me, you know, it's, it's, it's helpful to feel like there are energies and sources out there beyond just myself that I can tap into and receive from. And the earth is one of those main sources. There are so many gifts. There's so much medicine in every single plant, every single flower, every single star, every single cloud, if you open yourself up to it. And I say that not as someone who's always opening myself up to it and moving through life, like now I'm being guided. You know what I mean? That's not my experience at all. These moments for me are precious because it's not happening all the time. But Mm -hmm. I feel like the more we open ourselves up to that possibility, which is what I hear you saying, the more likely we are to maybe receive ideas that feel more inspired than forced and we it's like it that feel more guided you know that's how i'm hearing what you're saying well yeah man and i've been on a i've been on a really long uh expedition to understand things more and i feel like part of my part of my who i am how i want to serve in this world is to is to also invite people who are um, not as comfortable with, you know, with what would be considered mystical. I, I feel like I'm I live a pretty mystical life in a lot of ways, but I know that a lot of people feel so uncomfortable with that. And I'm grateful that because of how I'm wired and my history, you know, growing up in a religious cult and all that, I've been I have some built-in skepticism that makes me want to go and and say, okay, where can this connect to some you know, rational stuff. And I, I love more and more. I love that about me and it, be, it becomes less and less resistance against having broader experiences. But, um, so things like, um, Janet Connor's book, writing down your soul was so helpful to me in understanding that we can actually move into deeper brainwave states, even, even into the theta state, which is a deep learning state. 
Um, it's where we go when we're, you know, hip hypnotized and it's where we go and sleep and infants are there for most of their infancy. So we're deeply open to information. And I think that the left brain dominance of our culture has led us to believe that, um, all truth resides there. And the fact is there's so much information around us at all times and reading the lives of great scientists like Einstein and Nikola Tesla and different people. I mean, many of them came back with this tremendous reverence going, Oh shit. Oh my God. There is so much information around us. Wisdom ideas. It's around us at all times and learning, learning to become a better receiver of those things can I, I feel like turn into some incredible, incredible results in life. We might call yeah. them miracles, which to me, it's just when, when something happens, that's good, that doesn't seem possible given the circumstances, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, we, we were talking about stories earlier and for me, I, I see no point in being attached to a story that limits the potential for lack of a better word, magic that exists in the universe. Like you said, the, the, the levels of consciousness. And I've known in my life too many mediums, channels, psychics who were really tapped in mm -hmm. to, to question that there's so much that exists, you know, and, and I think a lot of in Abraham Hicks, who I've referenced before, who's, you know, that's Esther Hicks is a channel for the, for Abraham, these non-physical entities, but what she says that I appreciate so much when she's channeling is that it's about where you tune your channel. Mm -hmm. It's like you, if you're, if you're tuned to a country station, don't expect to hear R and B, right? <laughs> it's not, it's not what's going to happen for you. And it's the same in life. It's like, if you want to be open to receiving the gifts that can be received by all the different sources of life around you and the guidance that can be received, get in the practice of tuning your channel differently. Don't oh tune it to these stories that don't serve you. Don't tune it to, to self-limiting beliefs. Don't tune it to, you know, toxic, whatever coming at you, like tune your channel differently. And from that tuning, expect to receive different guidance and different information. Well, and Scott, let's just, God, I love all this. And I love, you know, you and I have, I think you introduced me to Lee Harris. So we have dear friends who are, you know, super tapped in. Um, and the, I think for me, a lot of times what would be a challenge in even being able to receive information from some, some folks, not him, I really love Lee and the way he presents his um, information. But um, some people got so attached to, it coming through as, as, uh, as a very specific entity with a certain, um, mm -hmm. accent or whatever. And some of that for me was just off-putting, you know, but that itself, what was interesting though, and, and, you know, Esther Hicks being one of those people for me, um, when I would take in the information she was sharing, it's like, that feels really clear and true. Like I, I love that information. I can, I'm kind of off put a little bit by some of the way it's presented, but overall the information is fantastic. And uh, to put this in a bit of um, brain science ways, Dr. Joe Spenza says the brain processes 400 billion bits of information a second, but we're only even aware of 2000 of those and the conscious mind seems to be able to process only about 50 bits per second. So at every single second, this 
incredible avalanche of information is touching our individual brains. And we can only be aware of about 2000 of those. So I, I'm aware of the slight temperature variation, in the room and the color of that plant over there. And, you know, all of these things spatially, um, proprioceptively, there's all these different bits of information, but I can only process about 50 bits. So that means to me, Scott, that no matter how broad-minded or wise or anything we might be or educated, we're only ever seeing life through a keyhole. We're only seeing reality through. And so to your point about which channel are we tuning into, it's like I get to point that keyhole at anything I, I yes. choose, you yes. know? Yes. And why wouldn't we be more intentional around where we're choosing to point our keyhole? It changes your life. It changes it genuine, your life. You, it, yeah, I can point the keyhole. And that for me became this great comfort, Scott, as I wanted to retain a healthy skepticism, you know, but also be open to what, what, what lay beyond. It's like at any moment, there was some time in my life when I was known as the most positive person in the room. Like I was always, always, always upbeat. I found that that became this sort of shield against my, my own anxiety. So I was actually, I was like a control mechanism was just, you know, looks barf out positive stuff all the time. And then I, so for some years um, I felt so disappointed by all of that, that I, and betrayed by it, that I kind of allowed myself to really be in the darker end of the scale for a long time. And when I began to understand though, that it, it's always a spectrum and there's nothing that's denying the what's what's harmful or bad in the world because I you know if I would share something that was some somewhat positive people would show up and get so angry how dare you be positive in a time when there's so much suffering and so much war and all this stuff and I can understand that and, and I would feel hurt by that I was like wait a minute I'm not denying it and then I began to realize no I get to choose and this is part of being a self-author self-authoring our lives being the creator I get to choose where I point that attention and at any given moment, there is always going to be hatred and war and violence and deprivation at any given moment through the history, all of human history. There's always been that. And there's also at the same time, at the very same moment, there is love and there are people being generous and there are healing, hap there's healing happening. There is incredible miracles happening at any given moment. So it's not to say I always have to be you know, looking only at love and light. Because I certainly don't. <laughs> Anybody who follows me on Facebook knows that. But it does help. I notice that when I spend more time not feeling at the mercy of, but going, I can choose to look where I want to look to point that keyhole, you know? Can I read something I wrote and shared on social media? We don't normally read our own writing, but it's so in line with what you're saying. I would love um, that. All right, I want to read it. And, and by the way, before you before you do, a friend of mine uh, sent me a screenshot the other day from Alec Baldwin's Instagram, with you know like shocked eyes, like because Alec Baldwin shared one of your uh, one of your recent things out of your Substack. <laughs> I, it's this, I think that he oh, shared. Good. If I'm remembering oh, what I want, what I'm going to read, I think this is what he shared. Yeah, it's one thing to acknowledge how difficult this life can be, but it's another thing to focus on it to talk about everything that feels wrong all the time, to act like there is only darkness and misery here. In our compulsion not to deny the harsh realities of this unpredictable existence, we often end up denying the extraordinary beauty. We focus our gaze on division and blind ourselves to real connection. We seek out examples of brutality and ignore the many moments of kindness. 
we bind ourselves to the opinions of others and silence the deep wisdom of our hearts. In our effort to avoid spiritual bypassing, we pass right by the endless exhibits of love on this planet, within this humanity, from one to another and another to one. There is so much hardship here, yes, too much, and there is so much beauty too. Where are you looking and what are you looking for? I need that sound effect of mic drop. <laughs> That's exactly what you were just talking about, what we're talking about here. Yeah. Where are we focusing our keyhole? Yeah. yeah. God. <laughs> How does that feel for uh, episode number 32, the first episode of season two? Yeah, it feels great, man. This right. is so good to be back chatting with you. And um, so good to have the energy of, of whoever's out there listening. Um, it just, it feels good to be doing this. Mm. Jacob, is there anything that you want to promote? Anything you have coming up or going on? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Was that an abrupt transition? No, no, I just, it's funny. It's actually, um, there, there will be things coming up soon and I'm so excited about this year. Um, having this first experience, um, wrap up so beautifully, uh, Scott, we had, we had the closing celebration that was not on the original schedule, but the way that people came together, I just felt like we, we need to have, we need to have a forum where people can really share their own things. And it lasted, that was last Sunday night a week ago, and it lasted for three hours. People from all over the world showed up. It lasted for three hours. Oh my God, extraordinary. And we were all, it just this reflection to each other and the ahas people were having about this is the challenge I showed up with um, when I signed up. This is what attracted me. And this is what I've come in to understand. This is how I was feeling about it. It just, it was a heart melting experience. And so I'm, I'm really so excited about continuing that. And one of the hopes that I had intentions really in, in putting this together was uh, every, almost all of my faculty at large for the Institute um, were represented there. Um, and my, my desire was that we could then begin to really understand what, what it was that we're doing here at this thing. And it would create experiences that would, that would help these beautiful teachers want to go and go, okay, yes, let's do some more things together. So I'm really excited. I don't have anything specific yet, but I will okay. soon. So Nice. Uh, we'll look forward to it for sure. And for me, I don't have any, any specific events coming up either, but um, really want to encourage you all to check out my Substack. It's scottstabile.substack.com. And uh, you'll get a weekly email from me about whatever it is I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten in the habit now that you're doing it like that, Scott. I've gotten in the habit of, of watching my inbox for Scott's weekly, uh, what, oh. Scott's weekly writing. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're just waiting with bated breath. Is it going to come now? <laughs> you, 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 you make fun. You mock that idea. But actually, it, it's no, but the fact that you're doing it regularly now. Because, you know, I've been, on your, I've been on your email list for a long time. And I think you and I probably had about the same level of frequency <laughs> Which before frequent. it was like three times a year maybe <laughs> yeah well cool brother this is so great i'm so happy we're back at it and uh, i love you i love you too and uh, just invite you if you want to um show up and ask questions or make comments about anything you heard today um just go to heyjacobhighscott.com and use the uh, contact form. We'll start paying attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, much love to y'all. We don't need
It's up to you to choose how good it can get, how much love you can let into your life, into your heart, before your mind decides it's too much. It's up to you to choose. It's up to you to choose.